Hello, this is Father Neil here and welcome to the November 13th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we're looking at numbers 2580 through 2584 of the Catechism. 2580. The Temple of Jerusalem, the house of prayer that David wanted to build, will be the work of his son Solomon. The prayer of the dedication of the Temple relies on God's promise and covenant, on the active presence of his name among his people, recalling his mighty deeds at the Exodus. The king lifts up his hand, hands towards heaven and begs the Lord on his own behalf, on behalf of the entire people and of the generations yet to come, for the forgiveness of their sins and for their daily needs, so that the nations may know that he is the only God and that the heart of the people may belong wholly and entirely to him. Elijah, the Prophets and Conversion of Heart 2581 For the people of God, the temple was to be the place of their education in prayer. Pilgrimages, feasts and sacrifices, the evening offering, the incense and the bread of presence, the showbread, all these signs of the holiness and glory of God most high and most near were appeals to and ways of prayer. But ritualism, often encouraged an excessively external worship. The people needed education and faith and conversion of heart. This was the mission of the prophets before, both before and after the exile, 2582. Elijah is the father of the prophets, the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Elijah's name, the Lord is my God, foretells the people's cry in response to his prayer in Mount Carmel. St. James refers to Elijah in order to encourage us to pray. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. 2583. After Elijah had learned mercy during his retreat at the Wadi Cherith, he teaches the widow of Zarephath to believe in the word of God and confirms her faith by his urgent prayer. God brings the widow's child back to life. The sacrifice on Mount Carmel is a decisive test for the faith of the people of Israel in response to Elijah's plea, Answer me, O Lord, answer me. The Lord's fire consumes the Holocaust. At the time of the evening oblation, the Eastern liturgy repeat Elijah's prayer in the Eucharistic epiclesis. Finally, taking the desert road that leads to the place where the living and true God reveals himself to his people, Elijah, like Moses before him, hides in a cleft of the rock until the mysterious presence of God has passed by. But only on the mountain of the Transfiguration will Moses and Elijah behold the unveiled face of him whom they sought. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God shines in the face of Christ, risen and crucified and risen. 2584. In their one-to-one encounters with God, the prophets draw light and strength for their mission. Their prayer is not flight from this unfaithful world, but rather attentiveness to the word of God. At times their prayer is an argument or a complaint, but it is always an intercession that awaits and prepares for the intervention of the Saviour God, the Lord of history. Okay, so today we're looking mainly at the prophets. We had the end of uh, King David and the place of the temple in prayer, and this temple is a central aspect 
that then will be reinterpreted in the New Testament. First of all, Christ uses the temple many times. We find gospel stories of Jesus being in the temple, even of the child Jesus being found lost and found in the temple, of the um, uh, the of them also the presentation in the temple. That there's a lot of the of the New Testament around the temple, but at the very end of Christ's life. When he dies, the veil of the temple is is torn asunder, is is rent in two. And um, in a sense, at that moment, the temple is uh, replaced, replaced in the Christian religion. But it has echoes in the churches, echoes in the the body of each one of us. Each one of us, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then we're looking at the, um, the prophets, these prophets that have this fantastic relationship with God. And that they have this um, this relationship with him in distress. That the prophets all have very difficult lives. They all have lives that are very challenging. That they suffer for being prophets. They suffer for doing good. And God often seems far away from them. And yet they are some of the best examples of what prayer is. Of what it is to call on the Holy Spirit. Of what it is to... Um, really, to, to be present before God, which is why uh, Elijah, together with Moses, are the two in the, in the Old Testament, the two characters that actually see God. That this is, uh, and that's why we find them in the Transfiguration afterwards in the New Testament. But that the prophets have this, uh, this role of bringing the Lord into history, of helping people to see him, of seeing the finger of God in daily existence. So this is what we have from the prophets and um, again uh, a beautiful invitation uh, to, to understand what prayer is. In fact it's kind of very hard to pray if you don't know the Old Testament. That's kind of the, the message from all of these. If you don't know the Old Testament, good luck praying. The best way to learn how to pray is to read the Bible, to read the Old Testament, to get to know these stories, to get to know them well so that by knowing them and sometimes it's just a matter of reading, even though we don't understand a whole lot in the beginning. But the more we read, the more we understand. And to know what God is talking about, and bit by bit to um, to get this language of prayer, to get this vocabulary of prayer, to pick up this custom of prayer from the Old Testament, because this is the prayer that Jesus will have. This is the source for Jesus' own prayer. This is the source of the New Testament prayer. But to go there first, to go to the Old Testament first, so that we can truly learn how to pray. So very well, tomorrow we'll continue. And tomorrow we're looking at 2585 through 2589. God bless.